Welcome back to another podcast and YouTube episode. And I was super excited to be joined by Roscoe Fernandez. But to be honest, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get through this without a lot of giggling and a lot of laughing. So hopefully that's going to be entertaining for everyone. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Roscoe. So to do a little bit of an introduction, Roscoe works for Centurion Legal. He specialises in providing employment law um, advice and he's just an amazing guy. So I'm so excited about the podcast. So welcome, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Trish. I'm glad to be here. I've seen some of your other podcasts, so I hope I can live up to expectations against those. So, yeah. You will be amazing. And I know you've got the odd prop there as well, so we'll see how we do. Um, <laughs> so prop? Prop? You mean like this? Yes, and for those of you who are listening, Moscow's handing up, holding up a uh, centurion. But yes, props, props. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about some unusual tribunal cases, and it'd be really awesome to get your views. So these are things that came up in 2023, and it'd be great to talk about how they impact businesses and how they impact individuals. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into it. The first one we've got is a train driver who was unfairly dismissed for a tarantula, tarantula prank. Can't say that word properly. So this chap um, works at a, a you know a, a train establishment, obviously, which is about train driver. Um, he finds out that one of his colleagues is a bit scared of spiders and snakes, and then starts doing things like hiding exoskeletons in pigeonholes and doing things to scare them. His employer then describes that this is gross misconduct, dismisses him, but that's classed as um, an unfair dismissal. So it's a bit of a bit of a weird one. Maybe what we can start off with is when we say unfair dismissal, what exactly are we talking about? So when it comes to unfair dismissal, um, an employer has to have a fair reason for dismissal and follow a fair procedure, basically. So when it comes to the fair reasons, you have conduct, capability, redundancy, illegality and SOSR, which is some other substantial reason. So in this case, they took conduct or gross misconduct as a potentially fair reason for dismissal and followed a procedure. And I say a procedure in inverted commas. Tell us a bit more about this one, because I know you've got a lot to say on this case. Yeah, I've got a lot to say about this case. It is interesting because if you read um, the extract about it online, you think actually doing this and deliberately playing these jokes and upsetting somebody to the extent that they did, surely that is gross misconduct. On the face of it, it does look like it, but there's a lot more to it because this guy, as I understand it, didn't really have a history of playing these practical jokes. In the context, it was done in good humour. It wasn't intended to harass or bully. He thought it would be a laugh more than anything else, and he misunderstood um, the impact it would have on the individual quite crucially, because when it came to the investigation, I think he was actually quite mortified when it got to that stage, when he understood the impact. But the employer did not go back to the person who had made the complaint and ask them what they thought and how it was intended, how they explained it to him. Did he did he understand what was what the impact of his actions were? So that was all misconstrued, I think. So. I think crucially in this case as well is when Richardson understood how his uh, actions had impacted the individual, he was very contrite and he said sorry more than once and the employer never passed that back to the individual as part of the process. 
also if you have a look at um the dismissing officer's reasons for dismissing and the appeal officer's reasoning in terms of upholding the original decision to dismiss they both sort of comment on the fact that this is one which might have been capable of informal resolution now to me that is quite far removed <laughs> from a gross misconduct dismissal because if something is gross misconduct you're unlikely to be able to fix it by informal resolution so they both say it I believe from from memory and it was never escalated it was never taken as an option so it's just a bit weird for somebody who's been there that long um when alternative dispute resolution is available not to use it so i think the fact that he was contrite was very important the failings in the investigation because you've got to carry out an even-handed investigation put all of the points to both parties before a decision is made whether or not to escalate to a disciplinary didn't happen and interestingly, I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's actually been back before the tribunal on remedy. Mm-hmm. The driver has asked for reinstatement and the tribunal has ordered it. So it was due to have taken place by the end of January or there or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether it has actually happened because there's been no further report of it. But it'll be interesting to see because the tribunal said this is a case where it would be practicable for the driver to be reinstated. And I'm sure West Midlands trains won't want it because it's egg on their face. Oh, yeah. There, there was something that you said there that I wanted to pick up on. So you said that this chap had not had a history of doing these kind of things before. So what, what would that mean in the context of this kind of case? So if somebody did have a history of doing these sorts of things, would that have had an impact as opposed to someone who doesn't? I think it would because it's an awareness of your own actions. Because if you've done it quite a few times and you judge people's reactions, you should know what is and what isn't acceptable. I mean, to him, I think he was actually a reptile lover and a spider lover and arachnid lover from what I understand. So he thought it'd be fun to introduce somebody to that. And when he placed the tarantula exoskeleton in the pigeonhole, it was done in broad daylight. Lots of colleagues were around and the same with the the, the snake skin so it's kind of different i mean if he'd done this in a safety critical environment like the the lady who complained about it if he if he'd put the um tarantula skin exoskeleton in the train carriage in a driving compartment for example that could have been a safety critical incident i think that would have been a lot worse mm. so i think it's an awareness more than anything else and how does that piece of reinstatement work so if the tribunal have ordered that this person has to be reinstated so they go back into their job as an employer, can you say no, or do you just have to do what you're told? Well, a court or tribunal can't order um, specific performance of a contract. They can order reinstatement or re-engagement, but it's up to the employer as to whether or not they do it. If they don't, then there's financial penalties for it in in, in summary, I'd say. Mm. And it's yeah. quite hefty. Mm. From memory, I think it's between six and 12 months pay, something like that. I'd need to double check, but... And you would have thought there's a shortage of train drivers right now anyway, right? So fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, they ran all of that in terms of the argument saying, oh, we're overstaffed. And the tribunal looked at it and said, are you? Are you really? (laughs) We don't think you are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Anything else on that one that you think it would be useful for our listeners to know? I think it's a case of making sure that you A, have a fair reason, B, follow a fair procedure. Those are the key things. And just to act reasonably, because, you know, the fact that the dismissing officer and the appeal officer were thinking, well, why don't we resolve it? And yet neither of them really does it in terms of informal resolution, because I don't think from reading this case that the actual complainant wanted the driver sacked. Sorry, Richardson wanted wanted oh. Richardson sacked. So I think they just wanted him to be aware of what he'd done, because everybody admits in this case 
Richardson included that it is misconduct on the face of it, but not gross misconduct. It's a matter of fact and degree. Be reasonable, folks. <laughs> Always the way forward. Love that advice. <laughs> Alrighty. So our next case is um, a woman who complains that the women's toilets are next to uh, urinals. And uh, this one is Earl Stilton Town Council. Uh, did make it to the appeal tribunal. So here the female employee is basically saying, oh, I've had to walk past urinals to get to a female cubicle there's a risk of me then being able to see a man using said urinal and I'm not okay with that and she she won uh, around sex discrimination from what I understand what what do you think of this one I mean it does feel a bit odd I would like to think that most companies don't have facilities like this for, for their employees but what are your thoughts on this one yeah, I think it's a pretty unique situation because the building that they were using, I think, was a playgroup facility as well. So the ladies' toilets originally were located in the same facility or it was the same as the children's facilities. So in terms of safeguarding, the ladies couldn't go in and use the, the toilets unless they had permission. There were no children. So I think that is why um, the council ended up putting a cubicle inside the men's toilets, which is bizarre because if you think about it, from a proportionality perspective, nobody's going to want to go in. A member of the opposite sex is not going to want to see somebody stood at the urinal. Mm -hmm. It's it's not really what you want to see, is it? So, <laughs> it's I, not really what I want to see. <laughs> it's not what, you know, I, I don't think it's unusual in terms of somebody wanting to complain about this. Mm. So I think from the council's perspective, they should have thought about ways around this. And they did think about it. They thought about installing a lock on the door, which they did. They put some sanitary bins in because that was one of the other causes for complaint, understandably, because you've got to have adequate facilities. Mm -hmm. um, but what they didn't think about was the fact that if there was a man already in there or men already in there, how would a lady know that a man's in there? Mm -hmm. Just wouldn't. So why don't you build purpose toilets or change them all to cubicles and segregate? Mm -hmm. That would have been the way forward in terms of proportionality. Mm -hmm. And I don't know from memory whether they did that because I didn't have a great in-depth look at this one. It just seemed totally bizarre from where I was standing and unsurprising on the facts. But yeah, I just, for a council, they should know better, really. Yeah. It kind of goes back to your original point, really. Just act reasonably and responsibly and you should be okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> You'd think it was quite straightforward, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would, but then you and I would be out of a job, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> so next case then um again slightly bizarre but an interesting one for us to talk about um so in this case we've got a chap who is singing let's do it from victoria wood's ballad of barry and frida and that song but not just that song amounted to sexual harassment so in this case we've got a chap who works um in a hotel the hotel manager is kind of just interacting with him in an inappropriate way to be honest there's lots of odd behaviour in this case um, and when it's finally brought to tribunal that the claim is um, harassment here so what tell me what you think about this one <laughs> and then also it might be good to talk about what we mean when we say harassment from a kind of employment law perspective yeah of course so the infamous Victoria Wood who we all love sad that she's gone do you know what though I didn't know this song so I actually go and have a look at the sketch and then I understood it a lot more in context but yeah it's unsurprising again, because I think people blur the lines between banter and harassment. So in terms of harassment, it's any act which creates a hostile, intimidatory, I can't say the word, degrading working environment. So that can be either verbally or physically. And in this case, I think it was both. It wasn't just singing that song. 
because mm-hmm. the tribunal in context looked at this and said, well, singing of the song on its own might not be that appropriate, mm-hmm. but when you couple it with everything else that this guy has been doing, because I don't know whether you had a, a look at the other things that he was accused of doing, but the tribunal found in favour of most of them. <laughs> it was quite dirty. So um, <laughs> there was... Um, I don't know what I can even say this, faking an orgasm when eating food he'd prepared, followed by a hug, (laughs) a kiss on the forehead, and what um, the claimant described as mildly dramatised dry humping. Yeah. So it it wasn't particularly nice, and there was frequent long hugs, touching of thighs, bottom, and nipple. So I think anybody on an objective reading of this case was going to say, what was this manager doing? And it's interesting because the manager was joined as a respondent to the claim because individuals can actually be liable for discrimination as well. So, again, not surprised that this went the way that it did because you just read it and it makes your skin crawl, really. Nobody should be subjected to that kind of behaviour in the workplace or at all. Um, No. So what do you think employers can learn from this? Obviously, we know this stuff just shouldn't happen. As an employer, what can you do to to stop it? Is there particular policies they should have in place? What advice can you give on that side of things? So I always say to employers, get um, an equality and diversity policy, an equal opportunities policy, bullying and harassment policies, because people often confuse um, bullying and harassment because harassment has its own meaning in the law, which we've just talked about. Bullying can be any act which... Um, make somebody feel uncomfortable it might not be to a protected characteristic or anything of the sort it could just be treating somebody unfairly for example or singling them out and that might not be due to you know race disability sex any of those other protected characteristics so get those policies in place educate people and train them because they need to understand what is acceptable and what is not so when I go in and do this type of training, um, I actually give practical examples so that employers and employees can understand what is acceptable and what is not. Because nobody's saying don't have work fun in the working environment. A bit of banter is inevitable, but you know you should know when you when something is acceptable and when something is not. Because I don't think anybody's going to go and do the type of thing that this manager did. He was senior, was the general manager, so you know going and touching somebody and gesticulating and singing and it's just i'm not surprised this poor chap um resigned in response would have done the same thing and i guess you're raising quite an interesting point there about um banter right because one person's version of what's acceptable banter is a different you know diff- it's different to different people what how do you think employers can can police that police that's not the right word but but manage that so i think that's quite a difficult landscape when what's acceptable one day changes from you know one day from the other which is fair enough and understandable but as employers how do you keep up with that and how do you make sure that you're on the right side of the law it's difficult i think i think in terms of when this type of thing happens if you're the subject of unwelcome behavior unwanted behavior which violates your dignity at work i would always encourage the person who's on receiving end to try and resolve it informally, tell the person who's done it, it's not acceptable, because sometimes they're not even going to understand. Because what is unacceptable to one person might be viewed as acceptable to another and vice versa. So it's a matter of understanding. As an employer, it's a really difficult balancing act to achieve. So that's a key thing. I mean, the tribunal will look and see whether or not a claimant is unusually sensitive and the impact objectively that type of behavior would have had. So, and that's why I I referenced at the beginning 
the point about the song on its own uh, obviously it can it can be viewed as unacceptable but when you add different things to it it, it, it escalates effectively it makes it far worse than it actually is so I think those are important things to to view because it's context more than anything else. Okay. All righty. Different tone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So next case then. So this one we've got, um, this one, it just, I find quite interesting really because it just seems like a bit of a misunderstanding that spiralled out of control. Um, but with this one, we've got an individual who works at Tesco's. Um, she goes on holiday. Tesco's mistakenly think she's um, absent without leave and dismiss her. Um, but <laughs> I know I shouldn't laugh. It's just you can't make this up. I, I just considering how big Tesco is, you would think they'd have armies of people like you and I to be able to guard against this kind of stuff. But apparently not. So this this person's been there for 26 years and then this this happens. And whilst Tesco did um, admit that they made a mistake and um, eventually held their hands up, I think the, the remedy was only five grand for this so i think that was quite surprising to me so what do you think about this one i know it's a bit bizarre <laughs> it is i mean let's have a look at some of the facts here um this lady had been there 26 years so it's a long period of service customer assistant i think self-service um at waybridge just for contacts <laughs> um, so she um was actually dismissed on the 10th of March, 2020. And the reason why that is relevant is that on the 23rd of February, so just over two weeks beforehand, she was deemed AWOL. And then weirdly, on the 2nd of March, she's invited to attend a disciplinary hearing. Dismissal follows on the 10th. And I'm thinking, that's a very short period to carry out an investigation and a disciplinary hearing, albeit the individual's not there. So it makes you wonder why they've done it so quickly as well. I mean, put myself in her position, I'd be pretty peeved as well if somebody had taken that and dismissed me. Now, the reason why, though, she only got six months wages, I think it's about 5K, is because she failed to mitigate her loss. Because she said that the reason she didn't find a new job is because it's pandemic shops weren't open, which wasn't really true. Because people were still going and just social distancing and deliveries, etc. So the judge wasn't too fond of that argument. <laughs> I mean, interestingly, Tesco did offer reinstatement, but she didn't want it. And the tribunal found that wasn't unreasonable in the circumstances, which you can I think you can understand totally because it's a pretty big error. But yeah. Tesco should be commended for accepting their error, I think, pretty early on rather than <laughs> running a futile argument. As weird as it sounds, I've seen people do that and it's just like, why bother? Is there, is there something in this case around timescales then? Because you were talking about it being quite short. Is there any any guidance that you would give around how long people should take before they kind of start action and kind of get to a meeting? And that's quite a general question. Yeah, I mean, what I say to people is in terms of the investigation, I mean, that's pretty important. It's important to carry out a thorough, even-handed, balanced investigation. So if somebody doesn't turn up, for example... How on earth can you then escalate to a disciplinary without having had their side of the story unless it's cut and dry? And I mean, somebody might argue that AWOL is cut and dry, but you'd ask yourself, why hasn't somebody turned up in the first place, particularly if they don't have a record of being AWOL? I don't think she did. So that's one of the key things. But I say, you know, if somebody doesn't turn up, giving them another chance to turn up. 
So that's why I've highlighted that. So for an investigation and a disciplinary, I don't think you should make a decision at first instance because that, I think, has happened in quite a short period of time. So I can't see how they could have given her a reasonable time in terms of attending an investigation and a disciplinary. So that's why more than anything else I've highlighted it. It's weird. Yeah, I think for me, and um, I had a case kind of earlier on in my career where somebody went AWOL, um, and actually it turned out that this person had fallen, lived alone, fallen down the stairs, um, broken their leg, couldn't get up, didn't have a phone. So we were all thinking this guy was AWOL, but actually when we went mad and checked, this poor guy had broken his leg and was at the bottom of the stairs. Um, so whenever I hear about stuff like this, I always think, well, did someone go and check and just make sure? Because unfortunately, I found that out the hard way, because sometimes it's not always about assuming the worst of employees right like there might be a genuine reason and just because they've not responded to your letter doesn't necessarily mean they're doing something wrong particularly in this case when the person was just on holiday (laughs) absolutely and if you think about it tesco's huge employer when it comes to the reasonableness of any procedure and dismissal the tribunal will look at the size and the administrative resources available to the employer and it'll be huge in this case so like you say send somebody around. I think it would have been pretty obvious if they'd done that a couple of times that nobody was home, for example. <laughs> Just the reasonableness thing again. We keep coming back to this concept, but employment law is based around reasonableness. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> all righty. Last one. I'm kind of gutted. It's the last one so I could chat to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Well, not me. To you, obviously. <laughs> Thanks. Um, all righty. So this one... Again, pretty bog standard stuff, but it's quite a useful one to kind of hopefully help educate the people who are listening to us. Um, So in this one, we've got an office worker who's excluded from a free day off uh, and not sent information about job adverts when she's on maternity leave. And obviously she's claimed discrimination. Um, It's an odd one because to me, we don't treat employees any differently whether they're on maternity leave or not. But obviously um, this company in Cambridge thought that was okay. Um, And for doing these things, the the, the consequence consequence, or the remedy was a 50 grand um, payout what do you think of this one in a word as you heard the deep sigh i just i just don't know how it got this far because if you look at the history of this case she started working at miss smith for Greatwell homes in 2019 as a business improvement analyst i can't say the word um and she had a heavy workload she took on a lot of her manager's work as well they viewed her as a rising star valuable really good employee encouraged her to apply for promotions when they were available so it's just looking at the change of attitude from the employer um when she told her line manager um that she was pregnant and the line manager was like hmm line manager didn't even bother to tell hr or employee had to inform HR herself because line manager just was very dismissive as a result. Um, Miss Smith didn't get the Friday off work, which was given as a bonus to all employees um, on the basis that she didn't work Fridays. And it's like, come on. Mm-hmm. So you just look at this and think, okay, somebody's gone on maternity leave. Why would you treat them any differently to somebody who's there? Particularly with regard to what's happening in the workplace. It's key. It's pretty basic that you know, if there are changes affecting your role and opportunities for promotion, keeping in touch, and you let the employee know. I mean, it's different if the employee says, I want to have this period and not be contacted. I don't want any contact. That's different. Most employees would want some form of contact. And she'd already said that she wanted to be considered for these promotions. And they were keen to allow her to be considered for promotion before pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I think 
it's just bizarre because if you look um, at the tribunal's judgment as well, the tribunal said that the respondent's um, evidence was inconsistent and confusing, which is a polite way of saying it's not credible, so they didn't believe them. So that's pretty damning in terms of that. So two senior witnesses um, that were there, the tribunal said, um, the reason for the difference in approach to this individual was was down to maternity leave, effectively. It's tantamount to admissions because it became obvious that it, their um, viewpoint of her was eroded by the fact that she'd been on maternity leave, which is appalling behaviour. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that the um, respondent in this case wanted to settle before a remedy. That's mm-hmm. what happened because I think they could have ended up in a lot a lot more dangerous territory really if you've got um, a remedy judgment as well you just you just don't want that out there when you even your managers have behaved so appallingly mm, i was going to ask you what can people do differently but i feel like the answer is not be appalling <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound so straightforward but in reality it is because you know you've got to bear in mind that this employer span out from the council i say that span out as a, as a shorthand for saying it was connected to the council at one stage um so effectively in that case they're going to have their policies and procedures hr education they'll know what's acceptable and what's not public sector or spin out from the public sector it's pretty obvious so if you can't get that right that's not great no (laughs) oh i'm actually really gutted that we're done i should have found more me too Thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Ooh, if people want to get hold of you, um, what's the best way to, to reach you so they can get some support? So either email me, roscoe at centurionlegal.co.uk, or give me a call, um, 0115-822-4847. Um, yeah, that's the best way, really. I mean, I tend to be lurking on LinkedIn. I say lurking and not stalking. <laughs> no, I'm quite prevalent on LinkedIn. You'll see me talking about things. Probably yeah. food and drink as well. That's what I talk about on LinkedIn. We'll have a conversation about food and drink after this. We should. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you for much. having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm sure we'll do this again. I'll find some more cases and let's have another chat and a giggle because this was great. <laughs> yeah, it was great fun. Thank you. Thank you.